You know that moment when you look into somebody's eyes and you can feel them staring into your soul and the whole world goes quiet just for a second? Ryan Bingham from the film Up in the Air. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so up messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, and as far as I know, this is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Uh, we are here at a very special episode today. I said I was going to be having more interviews, and we have another one, so I'm super excited today because our guest is not only a wonderful, wonderful person to talk about um, movies and, and different things, uh, he's also a great, great personal friend who I have gone on the road with and done comedy with. Uh, he is one of the fellow writers that I mention when I talk about that I have a writing group and that we've been writing writing TV and movies and working on different projects for the last year and a half uh, on a consistent basis and a sort of organized basis. Uh, but anyway, let me introduce him. You heard him on episodes, I believe, back at the very beginning, over a year ago, maybe two and three or something like that. Uh, my friend and fantastic comedian, writer, and just all around interesting person, Mr. Nick Cassano. Nick, how are you? I'm doing good, Jamie. It's really good to be back on the show. I'm so glad it's lasted uh, uh, this long. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. Whenever you put your mind to it, you really, really deliver something long term. It's, it's really cool. You know me better than anyone, right? Like, so, you know, when when I both put my mind to something and there's nothing to be gained from it, career-wise or personally, I can I can work it, right? Oh, with the best of them. You're, you're basically... Uh, you're, you're the George Clooney uh, of the up in the air for just uh, pointless fun. Absolutely. <laughs> you're going to stack like a, a million miles, a million flyer miles. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah, and I did I did start with a, a quote from Up in the Air, the film, because that's one of my other favorite movies. And have, I'm, I'm guessing you've seen it because you understand. Oh, yeah. Get it. Absolutely. I love that movie. I, I remember when I first saw it, it was just so charming. I, I fell in love with the... Uh, uh, Clooney and Vera Farmiga romance back and forth. I also didn't realize that that was Anna Kendrick until I watched it the second time around. I was like, oh my gosh, that was Anna Kendrick the whole time. Apparently I hadn't seen uh, uh, Pitch Perfect yet and uh, obviously uh, her recurring roles in the Twilight Saga, which Dude, uh, we may or may not get into. That's, okay, you know what? I always try to keep this on track, but that's a lie because there is no track. I didn't even put those pieces together in my head. Anna Kendrick all surprised yeah. both of us when we realized, oh my goodness, she's in these Twilight films a lot. Uh, which you saw recently yourself, and I've seen recently myself. Let me, what are your thoughts on the Twilight movies? Right? We're just going straight into the Twilight <laughs> yes. uh, That's podcast. That's where I wanted to go. Yeah, we're transitioning already. No, it, I, I actually really, really enjoy them. Um, I didn't think I would. I, I for You know, whenever they came out and they were the, the teen phenomena that they were, I just kind of... Uh, yeah, you know, I wouldn't let myself be exposed to such drudge, you know, mainstream cinema because I'm so art housey and cool. And then, like, when time went on and the kind of like the stink of it kind of dissipated somewhat, and you revisited those movies, 
now I'm not talking about the source material, mind you. That's a whole different ball game. We don't talk but, about the books. No, there's no reason. But what you can make a movie out of that source material, I think the first two are actually really good. Um, there's some camp in course, and there's some stuff that you just roll your eyes at just because of the the source material. But mm -hmm. making a movie as good as they did twice from that source material was, uh, I think, pretty high achievements. Then the third one is just boring and serves as just a bridge to get to the, the final Dawn or Breaking Dawns part one and two, which uh, totally flipped the entire series up on its head and just become, it, they basically fast and furious themselves in the last two movies where they're just like, we get what we're doing here and it is not serious. Dude, the, the ending, cause so I had thought that I had seen several of them and apparently I had only seen the first two. And then a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, you had watched them and said, hey, you need to give these things a second look. They're pretty good. Um, yeah. No, the, 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 like I said, that first one, there's so many uh, moments that, like I said, it's, it's such a weird uh, source material of a premise. And yet, I think Kristen Stewart did not get her due for how well that she just acted, you know, someone who's awkward and moving to a new town and people are just kind of fascinated by the new person in town and all this kind of stuff. And then the romantic aspects with her and Edward, there's one scene that I was just, I was blown away by how well she played it. And it was whenever Edward leaned into her, like leaned in and said, uh, I don't think I can quit seeing you. Like just like, I can't stop myself from seeing you. Absolutely. And the way she reacted where she was both blown away, but also trying to be cool about it, the way she layered that performance with her just blinking incessantly like she just got punched in the face with love and then mm -hmm. but yet her line is that well you shouldn't try to stay away from me like trying to be cool while being like just clearly melting with love like on the inside it was just so good the twilight movies the whole franchise uh i mean people do love it but I, they give it um they make fun of it for so many different reasons too. Sometimes it's the acting, sometimes it's the writing. But I mean, I think you and I are both on board with uh, how movies should be judged. Judge them for what they are and what they're trying to be, and don't judge them against every single ever, you know, cinematic entry into filmmaking of all time. Right? Absolutely. They were, they were not trying to make Citizen Kane. No, that's the thing. Like, th I think you're right. We had talked about this uh, previously just in our own non-podcast world of conversations, but the idea that like critics are, are trying to find something that they they just don't like, have any... Uh, they need to have, be controversial or create beef or you know, hate a thing if it isn't Citizen Kane, like you said. Like, that's, oh, it's so annoying with the new Space Jam that came out. Like... I get it. It's it's not a masterpiece by any means. In fact, it's just a digital ripoff of Hook that a lot of it doesn't really make sense. But it's not made for me. It's made for kids. <laughs> it's you know, it's it's not they're they're not running advertisements in between you know Monday Night Raw and uh, whatever else I watch on live TV. That's pretty much a SmackDown wrestling. Basically. Absolutely. So, but, you know, if you're watching like Teen Titans on Cartoon Network, you probably got flooded with so many commercials for Space Jam A New Legacy because that's who you're trying to go for. You're trying to appeal for kids. And the if, they thing, wanted, yeah. if they wanted to appeal to me, they had Darren Aronofsky. These directed. are teens, too. And th th I think that's the big thing other people forget. Like, um, 
it's a story about teens. Uh, yeah. If you if you actually took a, a camera crew to a high school, it would look awkward. The way actual high schoolers talk right. is not all you know clean and cinematic. Yeah. It would be a disaster of just cringeworthy dialogue and uh, poor performance if you were judging it to movies, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say that like Twilight, even though the dialogue was already pre-planned because of the book, the way that the actors, Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, uh, tons of others, you know, obviously Anna Kendrick and those parts, um, were just, and even Taylor Lautner, young Taylor Lautner before he got buff for the second film, they delivered it in such a, like an authentic teen way that kind of brings you back to that. I haven't seen a movie really explore like teenage emotion so well. Uh, since uh, Cameron Crowe say anything, which is a fantastic. We both we talked about uh, Cameron Crowe and love and love what he captured. So that's an interesting thing, um, because what I wanted to talk about originally was the reason that I like Silver Linings Playbook so much, and that I like Up in the Air so much. And I actually am going to right now say Twilight might go in this category of. There's, there's a type of film that I like to watch that's very comforting, that I might like falling asleep to. And, and there's something about the cinematic elements, about the music and how it's shot, the lighting. And then there's something about like the pacing of the story. And I, I don't quite know what it is about those three films, uh, Silver Linings, uh, Up in the Air, and Twilight. But do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know that like feeling? Yeah. No, absolutely, and like, yeah, there there is a comfort, especially uh, when you're dealing with um, kind of like pretty serious topics, but in kind of a lighter way. Uh, I think that's one of the main reasons that you and I became comics is because we deal with the, we deal with the darkest parts the lightest we can, um, because it's just more psychologically, uh, you know, satisfying to do it to handle your tragedies through comedy than to just let it wallow and, and fester. And these movies do that. But also, uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about both Up in the Air and uh, Silver Lang's Playbook is the fact that there are, they're both male protagonists, but in both movies, the female, the lead female, is the hero in both of those. In, in, in Silver Lang's Playbook, obviously, Pat, uh, Bradley Cooper is the protagonist. It is his story. But Tiffany or Jennifer Lawrence uh, in an Oscar-winning performance, um, which, in my opinion, well-deserved, uh, is the hero of that movie, is the one who's basically like, you don't have to change who you are, you know, mental illness and all, uh, to impress someone who doesn't want you as you are. Dude, I, I'm going to call back to our original uh, podcast that I had you on where we were talking about, I don't remember what number it was, I think it was like the 94th Academy Awards or something, but it was, right. it was 2012, we were talking and we went through all of them and and I think we uh, It's you know, a year talking, later and I still haven't seen Beast of the Southern Wild, I'm sorry about that. It's okay, that's that's the only thing I have to say, that's the only thing that has changed in my life in the year <laughs> and a half since we last talked that I saw Beasts of the Southern Wild and as much as I love, love, love Silver Linings Playbook, 
I would a million times give the Academy Award to, and I hope I'm saying her name correctly, Quivangine Wallace. It is an amazing movie. It is beautiful. I never hear people bring it up. I don't think enough people saw it. It's it's a perfect film. It is a perfect movie. Anyway. Hmm. I will have to check it out. Um, It's, It's one of those things where, like, it's such a... It's it feels almost more of an event than a like a normal movie because it's similar to like Moonlight, where mm-hmm. it's a very you know it's going to be an emotional you know dramatic portrayal. There's going to be some humor. There's going to be some you know some heartstrings pulled, and it's like it's hard to pick that movie whenever you're sitting in front of like a Domino's pizza and a glass of beer. It's super um, hard. I'm never in the mood to watch Beasts of the Southern Wild, and there's no way to sell anybody on it. Yeah. I watched it when I was depressed. Mm-hmm. I have that same thing with Room. Have you seen Room? I haven't seen Room. Room is your depression oh, movie? It, it, I watched it in a... like. Well, I'm a big Brie Larson fan, and then I found out that... Um, oh, gosh. Uh, what's his name? Uh the, who the, the other actor in it? Yeah, the kid. The kid. Who, uh, he's like blowing up. Jacob Tremblay. And okay. J- yeah, and I was just like, oh, these are two good actors, and you know, I've seen stuff about Room, and it seems kind of like an indie film, and I didn't really know what it was about. And then whenever I started watching it, I was just blown away by the realism in which they they did it. The stakes were super high the entire time, and it's just a yeah, it's just a really. It's a good movie that really gets to some dark areas, but then has a, you know, a pretty a pretty solid ending, and that it's earned ending. Well, that, I'm gonna have to watch that. We'll get, we're gonna have to make a deal. You watch *Beasts of the Southern Wild*, and I will watch *Room* because they sound like we might have similar experiences. All right, I think I can take you up on that deal. But uh, so that so that's interesting. So you so you, you made a really interesting point about the fact that some of my favorite movies are about. Um, it's sort of like reverse of the normal formulaicness of a of a romantic genre film, romance genre film. Yeah. Right. Because you have the 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 man, and I think one of the things you were pointing out in our uh, offline conversation about this was you were saying that that really allows men to explore their vulnerability in these stories Absolutely. in ways that they're not usually welcome to. Right. And, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just the, the whole idea that you like. Uh, we hear about toxic masculinity all the time, and one of the things that um, you know—I don't. I know you no, don't. You stay off the message boards for sure. But the, yeah, we the don't talk I- about that on Parlor. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> Stop the steal. Anyway, yeah. the um, the point is that the yeah, it's it, because if you take um, the male out of the hero role, especially in rom coms, because that seems to be the most. Uh, um, the, more of the case mm-hmm. is that the the man's the hero, the man saves the woman, uh, and you know, in classic Hollywood trope. When you take that out, and it's just like, oh, not only is a man not the hero and not perfect, but he needs help. Yeah, and it's such it. it and when they started making movies that have that in there, I think that it appeals to a lot of men on a certain level that kind of comes face to face with is like that kind of reminds me more of who I really am than what I'm trying to become or what I'm striving to be and it becomes more relatable that's fascinating I really love that take because I think a lot of people talk about this and 
I, the thing that I always think is so interesting is it's always recommended to me when it's on different streaming services, it shows up under romantic comedy genres. And it doesn't hit me that way. Like a it is maybe it fits all the conventions of a romance film plot structure wise. And there is comedy, but from everything you're describing too, the things that draw me to it is almost not even about the love story. The love story is like this thing that makes it sweet and gives us the hope. But I really follow it for the redemption of this character, I think, who is sort of lost in his past and can't get over it. And then he's in the middle and he's really just focused on his own mental illness. And then he's given a friend who is a flawed friend, too, and helps him out of that. Absolutely. She, she, Jennifer Lawrence represents self-acceptance to Pat, clearly. Yeah, one of, one of my favorite lines from, from it early on, yeah. too. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but it's a really interesting movie because it has... Um, so Usually there's like big moments at the end of a film, maybe like two-thirds of the way through. It's like a end of the second act, beginning of the third act. A film when, when a character will give a big speech and sort of have a lot of self-realization. Mm-hmm. And... It's really early on. It's about 30 minutes into the movie when she's running after him. And he he uh, says, you're the slut with a dead husband. And she looks at him and gives him a little speech. Do you, do you remember that part where she's like, I am, that's my past, but I've learned to accept it and forgive myself. And that's, that's like a climactic speech. And they're throwing that in yeah. really early in the plot. But even that's the theme of... of- the entire movie. I mean, but yeah, I do agree that that's like the setting the premise of what this movie is about is very, very well done by Lawrence in that in that one scene. Mm-hmm. But even something as subtle as you know the the raisin bran scene, that whole scene on the surface. Yep. Exactly. That whole scene on the surface sounds like two people talking about whether or not it can be a date about raisin bran, but. As we both read Robert McKee, <laughs> you, me, and Charlie Kaufman's brother all read Robert McKee, and we know that underneath the surface, what the dialogue is really saying is that you want the like, why can't you accept what this is? Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, the funny thing is too that it took me a long time. I don't think anybody would have any idea of this. I did not. I hated Silver Linings Playbook in concept for about two years before I ever saw the film and then I saw it on DVD and it didn't even strike me as my favorite movie and then it's like a year later on my second viewing I watched it and I was like oh this speaks to me on every level because I didn't accept it I didn't accept myself I didn't accept that my favorite movie could be about something so small right like it, it is huge but it's also small in scope as opposed to like an end game or well, I mean, to an extent. I mean, because, like, Endgame has the whole, like, the fate of half the population of the world. Um, and, you know, space and heroes and Thanos eating melon with salt. Like, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's supposed to be that kind of movie. But the thing about it is that when you watch something like Endgame, you don't get out of the theater and think, oh, man, I'm so glad that we know what to do when Thanos actually comes out. Because... You know, he's going to win that first round, but then we can use time travel and make sure that everyone knows it's not the same as Back to the Future rules. But in Silver Lane's playbook, you actually have something that's meaningful to your life. 
Like it's self-acceptance, especially in this country is just, you know, and not to turn it into NPR all of a sudden, but it's just, uh, we don't see a lot of it. It's always striving to be better. That's why so many people want to be quote unquote influencers and project this perfect life. So that way other people will subscribe, like, and subscribe. They'll hit that smack, they'll smash that, uh, like button and well, that subscribe button. I'll, I'll tell you here at Silver Linings Playcast, we are not about amassing as many listeners as possible. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I think your, your original episode, uh, the first one, was the second highest listened to episode in the double digits of listeners. And then the second half of it was the highest. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Huh. And I've gotten down to about three uh, an episode now. Nice. Maybe less. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Um, well, I, I will say that, uh, and this is really crappy me to say, but I'll have to go back and listen to a lot of them because I'm now... I've been a guest on more than I've listened to. <laughs> it's okay. I, it's not okay. But at the same time, uh, I appreciate your forgiveness. Dude, this is what, here's the thing. All right. Uh, I have put out a lot of really terrible content in the past. And I love that part of my podcast. And it will always be a part of my podcast. But I've forgiven myself for the first 58 episodes. Can you say the same of yourself? Yeah, I, I no, I, I didn't even. I mean, I felt bad just now, so you have to give me a second to forgive okay. myself. But I was so not even. It wasn't even on my radar to forgive myself yet. That's uh, that's that's what we like to be. I don't want to. I will say it. maybe that's what the podcast is all about in the end run. Maybe it is a, about self acceptance for yourself, for your guests, for you know. Maybe underlying all of this is to really accept the fact that we're both really big fans of twilight it is i i'm in fact i'm now a little sorry that i jumped off of that and tried to keep keep us on track so much because that's that's where my mind has been existing for the last year right because i've i've written a uh, book vampire novel myself yeah. i've rewatched all the twilight films uh they've become a very important part of my life me and my other best friend used to go on the road and watch all the twilight movies mm -hmm. which uh you know, our mutual friend who was on a couple weeks ago, Conrad Rombarek. Yep. Congratulations to Conrad, by the way. He knows why. Absolutely. Yes. Congratulations for not being tricked into doing this week's podcast. Uh, yes. Congrats <laughs> to you. But so let's jump back to Twilight for a second. Sure. Because I, um, well, one, okay, so let's talk about, do you, do you have a favorite part of the whole Twilight Saga. I'm just going to treat them all like they're one movie, unless we need to talk about a specific one, because I don't remember which one is which. But hmm. Favorite part of the entire... Hmm. Or favorite line, favorite character. What, well, what, what is it about it that you like? Because I'll, okay, I'll tell you right now, I love the baseball game. The baseball the game is hilarious, and the concept of they can only play baseball when it's thunderstorming is one of the funniest, like... And the fact, once again, judging the source material, because that's straight out of the book, and then what the director had to do to make that entertaining, and then they just went over the top with it. They're like, if you can only play during a thunderstorm, then you got to come to play. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. It was really funny, and it did actually lead to, uh, you know, that... Um, basically them bringing 
other vampires along to create a conflict for Bella. Absolutely. Yep. And so, you know, I thought, yeah, I thought it was a really good one. I mean, as far as favorite line, I, I think the one that I had mentioned earlier, the way how Kristen Stewart says, uh, you shouldn't stay away from me, basically. Mm-hmm. I think that's like, to me, one of the best lines, or at least line readings, not necessarily the dialogue itself, but the, the line reading she did was so good it's just like it kind of gives me goosebumps when i think about it one of my favorite things that you pointed out when we had our one of our initial conversations right after having watched the movies is you were pointing out the line where she goes you nicknamed my daughter yes (laughs) monster right it's once again another line reading that the line on the surface is so ridiculous and yet yeah it's in the uh the breaking dawn part two uh which they, they named their daughter Renezme after a combination of both mothers' names, which, once again, source material, and I'm just like, that's outrageous in and of itself. Then for uh, Taylor Lautner Jacob to basically be like imprinted on this baby and have a nickname for her, Nessie, and then to have Kristen Stewart full of vampire rage look at Taylor Lautner and shout with the most sincere anger I've seen on her do on film to date. Yeah. You nicknamed my baby after the Loch Ness monster. <laughs> you know, and, and one of the things that I hate so much about people sort of uh, being down on the acting in, in these movies is, let me say two things too. One, it's a total fantasy. Right? Yeah. So like Silver Linings Playbook, there's a lot of realistic moments. You're judging it against like, oh, are they, does this feel like a real date? But there is no such thing as a werewolf imprinting on your vampire baby. How, you're making that, that up. Your portrayal of that is the only time that's ever been done. There's nothing to compare that to. Absolutely. Right? And then the other thing is, and I, I think you will agree about this because we've talked about this. Uh, how about all those actors from this movie, right? They turned in, I don't even want to say turned into, but they have had some amazing roles. Uh, Robert Pattinson is fantastic. He's a great yeah. actor. Kristen Stewart has done some some really good movies. Anna Kendrick Absolutely. shows up well, very yeah. consistently. Anna Kendrick's all over the place. You had uh, uh, Rami Malek in the, in the yes, last yes. Oscar winner, Rami Malek. You had... Uh, Oh gosh, I can't remember his uh, Lee Pace, mm-hmm. who was um, one of my favorite roles in uh, *Halt and Catch Fire* as Joe, uh, kind of like a Steve Sheen. Jobs. Oh, Michael it's, Sheen, of course. I mean, these are the weird greatest. roles they're doing, and it's a weird movie that they're in. But like, it is jam-packed full of quality, quality actors. Yeah, and Dakota Fanning, who I was just like, I'm so <laughs> honestly. Like, I love Dakota Fanning. I know that the timing of that statement was terrible. But I love Dakota Fanning. Like, uh, her as a child actor, and I was just like, I'm so glad that she's transitioning to adult acting, but making the right, you know, decisions that she can make since she has some money in the bank and has a reputation Mm -hmm. now. So she can do, you know, she can be in a couple Twilight movies as a really cool part, or she can be in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. uh, You know, that kind of stuff. And it's it's cool to see her... um, getting work because I think she's incredibly talented it is I think and so that's why I'm always I'm a big defender of all the um, 
performances and stuff too because because you have multiple things right you've said it several times on this podcast they were going off of source material and so there's there's a whole separate art to writing original screenplays and adapting screenplays silver linings playbook being an example of that absolutely and and so you know so so they're definitely constrained too i think they probably i wish i had the background of having read the books just for making a statement like this but i think they probably did a really good job given the very large amount of of source material that they had to fit into films right for, how, how many yeah, lord of the rings movies were there um there were uh three i think they're like now up to like 12 hour cuts of each of them and then three <laughs> hobbit movies as well that i think are all uh, up to 14 days each yes so right and yeah i think it's about i don't know seven months worth of of uh lord of the rings and hobbit movies combined so they actually they did a really good job on on fitting all the things into the twilight movies because the twilight books are actually larger than novel than like most young adult novels right silver linings playbook is i'm i'm going off the top of my head i've looked up this up before i believe it's like seventy thousand words Eighty thousand is about the average adult novel, I think, and I believe young adult fiction goes about fifteen thousand less. So you're in like the sixty-five thousand range. So Silver Linings Playbook is is a rather short adult book, right? The Twilight books. Let me look this up because it actually probably um, uh, is worth having actual facts on this. So the page count for Twilight, let me see, for the hardcover is 498 pages. Okay, but to be fair, how many of those pages are just uh, uh, drawings that you get to color in with crayon? That takes a lot longer. It does take longer to finish it for sure, but, you know, it's a little bit easier than writing. Well, have you done the Silver Linings Playbook coloring book, though? No, because that's. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I gotta call Pixar. I got an idea. <laughs> I get, I got a sequel for uh, Inside Out. <laughs> but, but yeah, no. So Silver Linings Playbook's a three hundred page book, and Twilight's a five hundred page book. And so that, so all I'm saying is that they they did a decent job for yeah. what they were doing. I think everybody everybody in the process did the best they could do. And, and I'm saying this like they need a defense. They made plenty of money, and they have a rabid fan base a decade later. So it's not... I'm basing this all off of just snide social media commentary on... People, people love Twilight. We love yeah. the Twilight. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with loving Twilight. It's about self-acceptance. That's what this podcast, it, that's what this movie's all you about. You are so... Did, is, this, is this the week... Week fifty eight or nine that you give me the speech that, that uncovers the theme of this podcast. Acceptance very well and might forgiveness. Be acceptance. Self acceptance. Self self acceptance. Yes. And self forgiveness. It's like, you know what? You have spent an entire year not watching Beasts of the Southern Wild. But I forgive myself. I've watched it twice in the last year. So just I I just promise you're 
you're gonna like it um, because you appreciate good films. I do. I, well, I try well, to. Let's see. What are what are some of your favorite films? You can and and you don't have to. I'm not gonna hold you to like this is your list of your top five favorite films because mm. I think that's a very unfair question to ask. What are some of the movies that you really like? I can well, watch a million times. There's, I mean, there's a couple that are very cliche. Obviously, uh, I'm a big fan of Tarantino, so Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown. Um, do you have favorites, or are, do you just like Tarantino movies collectively? I mean, I love say? all of his movies. I do have a, a ranking order that everyone gets really mad at me for, for saying. Well, because... then please give us the ranking order. <laughs> well, it's because, okay, in my opinion... And it's solely my opinion. I know a lot of people disagree with me, and they have very valid arguments for it. In my opinion, Django Unchained is his worst film. And I'm not saying that because it's bad at all. I think I love Django Unchained. I think it's really good. But compared to everything else he's done, I think it's his worst one. And it's only because of the ending. I mean, it's super fun up until then. I think it's super fun. But yeah, a lot of people will say, no, oh, Hateful Eight. I was just like, you cannot say Hateful Eight Hateful is, is his worst. not his worst movie. You I can't say can Hateful Eight is his worst movie unless you hate Reservoir Dogs, because that's what it is. It's Reservoir Dogs, again, but as an old Western town. And it's similar location. It's a mystery. You know, there's murder involved. There's a double cross. Everything about it is Reservoir Dogs. But it's just updated in a different you know, aspect, you still, and you got Sam Jackson involved. Sam Jackson always wanted to be mm-hmm. in Reservoir Dogs. Kurt Russell, killing it. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, incredible. Like, everyone, everyone in it. Yes. I, no, I agree. I feel like... Oh, Walton Goggins. Cannot leave out Walton Goggins. Walt, Walton Goggins. Is that his mm-hmm. name? Walton. Yeah, Walton. Walton. I, I thought it was Walter my whole life. Ah, Walton Goggins. He is so... I heard his uh, uh, podcast on um, uh, Mark Maron's show. He has such an interesting, like... Really? Yeah, how he became an actor. I'm going to have to look that up, because I love that guy, even though I apparently don't even know his name. Oh, there's a movie that you should definitely watch called Fat Man, if uh, you have not seen or heard of that. Never heard of it. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to give too much away, but the, and this is for anyone listening as well. Go see, like, rent Fat Man or watch it on Prime or something. Just tell us the ending. Well, <laughs> no, describe but, it how you like. Well, basically, it's uh, imagine like the most uh, by the book action movie possible. The way it's shot, the way the dialogue exists, everything like that. It's as, mm-hmm. it's diehard basically, but it is about it stars Mel Gibson as Santa Claus in like this really gritty but real Santa. And no. Walton Goggins, yes, Walton Goggins is hired as an assassin to try to kill Santa Claus. Mel Gibson is Santa Claus? Mel Gibson is Fat Man. He is Santa Claus, yes. Chris and, Kringle. And Walton Goggins. And Walton Goggins is an assassin hired by, hired by the precocious actor from Million Little Things, from ABC's Million Little Things, who I always liked. Uh, I thought he was a really good How know, kid actor. How have I never heard of this? Was it because was it what happened to it? What when when did it come out? It came out uh, last year. It, like it came out oh. right after Tenet. Oh, okay, okay. So maybe that's why it, it didn't. I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's super have other indie. people heard of it, and it's just I'm missing because I'm I'm not up on. I don't keep up with things very well, so it's possible that I. 
No, I, I, in fact, I just I stumbled across it. I was I was looking on Amazon Prime, and just kind of looking to see what what new movies came out. I saw there was just it, it was just called Fat Man, and it had Mel Gibson in it. And I was just like, I will totally watch the preview for this. And when I saw what it was about, and I was just like, oh my gosh, if they if if they know what kind of movie they're making, this movie's going to be so fun. And they absolutely know what movie they're oh making. Oh my god! Okay, so I brought so up fun. the the web page for it, and I have to read the Google review to save his declining business. Chris King Kringle, also known as Santa Claus, is forced into a partnership with the U.S. military. Making matters worse, Chris gets locked into a deadly battle of wits against the highly skilled assassin hired by a precocious 12-year-old after receiving a lung buff call in a stocking. Yes. Well, I know. And it is, the, the beauty of it is taken so self-serious. But you know that they're, you know, they're winking at the camera okay. while doing it. That's the best part is because they're doing it, like they're doing it, they're playing it so straight-faced. That it's it's one of the funniest things. Good. I well, I know how I'm going to be spending the rest of my night. <laughs> this can, oh, it had a budget of twenty million dollars and its box office was one point six. Yeah, I could see that being. Which okay, to be it, November thirteenth release, so there was definitely difficulties going on there that affected that too. But um, still, though, oh, that's that's amazing. I am okay, so. I am definitely going to have to watch. That sounds incredible. That doesn't sound real. Hmm. Uh, but oh, Walton, I love him. Though, that is an actor. That that's a guy who every time he shows up, and he shows up all over the places in crazy different roles. And I'm like, nailed. Um, uh, Inglorious Bastards, Christoph Waltz. That's we've talked about him multiple times. Absolutely. He's Same so thing. fun. He just, even when, he, like, especially after we played Hans Landa and uh, Inglourious Bastards, uh, to transition to his role in Django Unchained, uh, it's so fun. It, it's, it's really nice to be able to root for him. It, it's kind of like uh, whenever, uh, in wrestling terms, whenever Steve Austin or The Rock uh, started out as heels and they were just so entertaining mm -hmm. that you just wanted to root for them so badly that they became baby faces. Did you read that article recently about how Tarantino didn't let him rehearse with all the rest of the cast? Right? Yeah, because of the impact of right of them beating them for the I first time showing really imagine. That's so smart. Yeah. No, that's that's brilliant. I, uh, oh, let's go back to your list though. What what is the rest of your ranking for Tarantino films? So, okay, and this is like I said, there I kind of have to preface by saying his like my list is not my opinion on which are my favorites. It's my opinion on which are his best films to worst films. Okay, we'll go through both of these because I think I think I similarly have a controversial take on my order of his best films versus the ones I like best. Yeah, but I'm a big fan of it too. Yeah, so. I would say that uh, *Inglorious Bastards* is his best film. Um, I would agree. Then I would actually say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would probably be his second best. Uh, I thought it had so many great elements. I think that there was a lot of homages to Inglourious Bastards in it. The fact that playing with history in a certain time period, changing the results historically, all of that aspect, all, you know, kind of uh, uh, shown in both movies. Then Pulp Fiction. Okay. Uh, I would... I would... 
I'd say Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Kill Bills. Okay. Hateful Eight, Reservoir Dogs, Django and Chains. I feel very strongly with your listing of. I feel, I've, I'm ninety percent on board with your rankings. With my biggest problem being now, now this is not a problem with your ranking. I don't know how to solve this problem that I have in my head. If we were gonna rank them the exact same, and that's where to put Reservoir Dogs, right? Because it's. Um, See, that's the thing. With Reservoir Dogs, that's why I kind of have to do two separate lists Mm -hmm. because a lot of his stuff early on between Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, super indie, uh, where he displayed a lot of creativity, but there's just, there's a certain quality as well as far as the writing, as far as the production value, all that kind of stuff that has to be taken into consideration. And that's why it's like, on my personal ranking of favorites, Reservoir Dogs, probably number two. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, if not number one, but uh, as far as the like the way it was shot, um, the production value and everything like that, obviously it's it's inferior to a lot of other productions. But you have to keep writing, of course, part of that, the acting, everything, uh, part of that as well. So that's that's kind of where it's lower on the list as far as his best, uh, in my opinion. In fact, you know what? I might have to move it above Kill Bill. Because there's, Kill Bill is such a technical um, achievement for him that it's hard for me to rank it low. I have a hard time ranking. It's, he's one of the hardest guys to rank too for me, because I feel like he's very deliberate in the different kinds of movies he's making. Like he's sort of, he, he sort of finds a different genre within several genres, and he's like, I'm gonna try to make this kind of film. I'm gonna try to make this kind of film. Yeah. So it's almost like he he has diversity within himself. With the same thing about his career that he sometimes gets criticism from film critics from, is that you know they'll they'll say he's just pulling from other cinema, and that it's sort of homages to other things. He's, but I just think of it. He's he's like a uh, he's like a, a remix. Yeah, he's a DJ. DJ. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, That's the thing. And there's plenty of room for that as well, especially if the remixes are good. But the difference, though, is that with a, with a remix DJ, they don't write the songs. Ever. They, they just mix them. Tarantino, at least, he, he writes the dialogue. He writes how these scenes play out and then makes homages in his head as far as how they were shot to things, you know, that they can relate to, but as far as the what he makes, uh, yeah, there there is both homage and originality all mixed within, so it kind of appeals to everyone because he's able to balance it all. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel any of that criticism towards him, but uh, I, I, it's definitely something I hear. Yeah, from him. I'm now I'm a person that I I put Jackie Brown way higher on the list than a lot of people. I think I think that's that's one where I hear people will often overlook and put over on the list and i love that film absolutely um i think it's it's super fun it's definitely like the here's my thing i would if if somebody had never seen a tarantino film i might give them that one as the intro i think that would be fair uh even though 
you you would actually expose someone to probably some of you know some of the things that a lot of people wouldn't think about Tarantino, especially with a film like that. But it's, it's since either a lot of people either haven't seen it or saw it when they were younger, around the same time as uh, you know. I remember, like, yeah, I watched uh, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Jackie Brown all within about a span of a week when I first kind of discovered Tarantino. Mm -hmm. And I remember not liking Jackie Brown at all the first time I saw it, but that's because I was, you know, uh, like 15. I didn't get it at all. Yeah. When you become an adult, and, like, especially with, you know, the culture's understanding of, like, wokeness and trying to, uh, you know, become less racist especially yeah. systemically yeah. it's like it's interesting you know to see tarantino's like a black exploitation film from tarantino's mind yes and like re- writing a real strong black female protagonist yeah. like that and it's just like you know it, it's without jackie brown you wouldn't have kill bill absolutely that's and it's it's definitely it's it's funny that um, Pulp Fiction, I think, is so much of, like, the mainstream introduction to Tarantino for people. I think that was, that came out and people were just like, oh my goodness, this is insanely good and interesting and crazy and stuff. Where in the context of his whole filmography, it's it's almost this weird outlier. I almost want to tie it with... Once upon a time in Hollywood, with with your same rankings, I almost put them to the side. And here's my reasoning on it, though, that it's uh, he did that closer to the beginning of his career, and then you have all these movies, and and with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being the most recent one. And so I think that there, it's sort of interesting, and in like that was the best thing he could do then. This was the best thing he can do now if you're scaling for how much experience he had, which was plenty at that time. Right. Right? I, f- I feel like there's an equality to that. Like, how, what, what would he have made Pulp Fiction now, given his now several decades of experience? I'm saying that, too. Like, I, he, I feel like he's such a perfect filmmaker in a sense of, like, every one of those, I wouldn't change anything about them. Right? People have little yeah. complaints about this. And that maybe the sound mixing or stuff, but I'm like, it's it, they're they're so his. Yeah, absolutely. Each scene is. It's almost like he can't make a scene that isn't iconic in some form or fashion. Absolutely. I'll tell you one of the things because I, I still have this picture of Walton Goggins up on my screen <laughs> right now. I'll tell you. So I I always have this experience where there's there's um, actors who will they're usually not like a lead but they're definitely supporting or secondary characters that will show up that I'll just sort of, I won't know their name for many years, but I'll just see them and consistently love them, love them until finally their name gets stuck in my head, right? So like Walton was one of those, uh, Christoph Waltz yeah. was one of those. I'll tell you the one I have most recently that I've realized I've been watching for decades, but I'm always happy to see him. And I just learned his name, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Absolutely. Love J.K. Simmons. He's so fun. Another guy that just... Anytime I show up, I'm like, even even if it's a terrible thing, you're going to be the best part of it. You're going to nail what you're doing. 
Absolutely. He's the whole reason I started watching, uh, what was it, the Oz on HBO. I had no idea he was part of that show. And it's like, not only was he part of that show, he plays the most stone-cold bastard that you've ever seen on film. He's such a, just a piece of shit. Which I can, I can imagine. He, and he does, he does that range. He, Absolutely. He can be like but, the guy that you want as your, your just caring mentor father or just like yeah. someone you're terrified of. Right, from Juno, where he's like the most, he's the best dad in the world in Juno. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, to be the worst dad in the world in Invincible. Yeah, I finally finished that. I did. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, it was I mostly liked it. It's a- weirdly enough. Uh, so I mean, you notice obviously J.K. Simmons being the voice of uh, uh, yes. Omni Man. Yes. Did you notice uh, the voice of Cecil Walton Goggins? No. <laughs> yeah, for real. I. No, I didn't. I'm gonna to have to go back and check that because I I went back to search for Justin Roiland too, and when you said that, and yeah, then I heard did you it, see so it? Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't believe I missed it the first time. It was so funny. I heard I was gonna share this with you. There was a there was an online. Um, it was uh, it's like the Onion, one of those fake news story things, and it had a picture of Justin Roiland, and the headline was Justin Roiland very close to working on a third voice. Um, That's. I saw that article. I thought it was legit. <laughs> I, I, I was fooled. <laughs> I looked at it and then I was like, "Oh, you're one of those parody news things," but, which is funny because I, I love him. But uh, you know, um, oh yeah. Well, like, and then on top of uh, you know Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites, I also uh, downloaded and played um, uh, Trover Saves the Universe on VR. Oh, I saw that I saw that was a thing. I was interested in that. Yeah, and what's funny is Trover is Morty's voice 100% and Trover's boss is Rick's voice 100%. <laughs> have you been keeping up with the new season of I know you have because we've actually been talking about it. But, Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's so what are you, what are you thinking about this season 5? Uh, I like it more than what I'm seeing a lot of people say online. Um, I thought the first 3 episodes Are they not were, liking it? There's uh, well, I think a lot of people were turned off by episode four, which is kind of a an odd episode for sure. Um, but I think My, it'll, which one was that? That's the one where uh, <laughs> to describe it's always fun. Uh, where Morty. Uh, oh, basically, I know, I know it. I remember. okay, <laughs> I got it. Okay, pause, thank you for let me know. Making, okay. yeah, making me not have to. And that that in and of itself, it's like when you have a hard time saying it. what an episode of Rick and Morty's about, uh, given everything else that they've done. It's, you know, it's hard to, but I actually enjoyed it. I thought, it, I mean, it definitely has, you know, some pretty gross out moments um, in it, but that was the one I think that was controversial. And then the Thanksgiving one, I, I didn't really like it at first, but then I gave it another shot a couple of days later. It was actually pretty funny. They're all fine. That, that's the thing. I am, I am very enjoying this season. I think there's been some, some high points. In, I mean, we're seven episodes and, and, and it's got a pretty toxic fan base anyway that I feel like they're going to hate anything that they do uh yeah. even though they're also gonna wait for it madly every week too and complain there's not enough of it but uh, they 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 did that thing that's very dangerous where you start really really well and yeah and that's, oh, that's true yeah the second season the first episode of the second season i thought was probably the worst episode and i was like oh no did they kind of jump the shark but then episode two yeah uh morty night run that really picked up steam and then season two was a success season three episode one was pretty strong off the bat 
uh, I'm trying to remember season four, episode one. Well, I'll tell you one of the things they, they do that I think is really smart and difficult, but it just sort of happens to be what they do, too. It is a very, very odd mixture of a um, a serialized series yeah. that is episodic. Absolutely. Where they have self-contained adventures, but then they do exactly. have the overarching, like, every season there's some kind of storyline that seems to be developing. I will say, now that you bring up that point, it doesn't seem like season five has one so far, other than the only thing that's been re- reoccurring has been the uh, incest baby in space. It, it is, that is the one thing I have been missing, and that was sort of the one thing I wanted to bring up to you, that I thought the, my biggest criticism of season five, and it's not to be down on season five at all, was just it felt oddly even more episodic than all the others but uh, but it also yeah. we're going into seasons where there is a much longer uh episode order than there has ever been in the history of this show too they might be adjusting their pacing um i mean it's definitely possible but i thought basically. that they happened with season four and season four had that great um you know beth oh, you're uh, right you know I the don't know beth arc about. basically um or did that was that season three well, Actually, it was no, season, season three. three. Yeah, season four was four, her dealing with whether or not she's a clone. And four was so into the meta of the show. Right. Too, because we as writers were just weekly. I remember after, after so many of those episodes or during them, one of us would text or call each other and just be like, did you see what he did? And we weren't talking as like uh, fans of the show, just as writers. Like, hey, did you see, right. did you see what they just wrote mm-hmm. as writers? Where they were calling out uh, tropes and conventions of writing. Absolutely, yep. The uh, the story train episode, which started as like an anthology style, uh, either interdimensional cable or um, Morty's mind blowers, but then it got so much more meta about creating a story based off of that type of show, and using Harmon's specific story circle as the. Uh, the crux or of how the story is going to work out. And then the great culmination of bleeding the stories dry and story Lord played by Paul Giamatti. And then of course, culminating in the greatest story ever told Jesus Christ. And the great, and to me, one of the, my favorite parts was how authentic the salvation prayer was at the very end of that episode. I've been at a church too many times. I've heard it so many times I've said it, you know, in my past, of course. So, the fact that they did not sugarcoat that at all, they played it as straight as possible, it, it really got me. It was really funny. It's one of the things I love about uh, all the things that, that Dan Herman has done, too. He's so funny. Like, he creates really funny things, but I, I feel like he gets that comedy by treating those little elements with the full, uh, let's say, magnitude of what they're supposed to be. Right, like in Community, it, you know, they're going to make a, uh, an action-adventure episode, and you get people that are going to go on to direct Marvel movies right? to direct these things, and, and you make an actual, like, mini-action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so far all the paintball episodes, obviously, huge uh, 
fan base for those particular episodes directed by yeah the Russo brothers who directed Endgame mm-hmm. um, and then uh, but then you also I think the other night I saw one that was just um, it was uh, Law and Order I, that was the next one I was going to say yeah the Law and Order about the, uh, I've been the squash it too, and it's... yeah I thought that was really good and Michael K. Williams is a biology teacher I completely forgot he was in there because because we've seen so many things do like Law and Order parodies, different procedural parodies, and yet there was something that was even more authentic about the community version of it. Yeah. Um, well, when you have characters like, uh, especially Abed, who's become one of my favorite TV characters ever, um, you, you can kind of blend into the reality that the show is trying to convince you that they're going through because, yeah, they've built up enough reasons why they would be acting this way just in general and of course you know uh donald glover troy would just go along with with abba because it was always fun and Absolutely. then it bleeds into the rest of the group sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no no i was just going to agree with you that, that that was some of the best uh dude troy and abed is one of the that is one of the best bromances if not just relationships i think in in modern television it's so fun the actor's chemistry is absolutely amazing um. Absolutely, it's it. I, it really was kind of the like the the signal of the show inevitably ending when Donald Glover left the show. I mean, it started to a little bit whenever Chevy Chase and um, Dan Harmon had their falling out, and then yeah, yeah. Harmon was gone, and that one was big, obviously because it was a different like season four was just a different show. It, it's like you learned all the lessons. Uh, on the surface of what the show is, but none of the depth to it. And yep, then totally, but then, uh, yeah, when, but when Chevy left, cause yeah, I have a, I just a huge respect for how Chevy chase can deliver any line. Like he just, he's just, he nails it every time. It's always, even the most, like some of the darkest or stupidest things are just so funny the way he just delivers it. He's just so good. And I hate to know that he's such an asshole. <laughs> Dude, well, I mean, how many? It, it, that's probably why it was so good, and he's done so many great things, right? I mean, terrible people can still make good things. I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I don't take any strong positions on this uh, podcast. But yes, I do. I don't know. This is this can be whatever I want. Mm. It's literally whatever. <laughs> I don't know. There was a that was a weird place to go no i was just so excited because um so have you uh have <laughs> have you seen have you ever seen the show mythic quest um Plus, danny pudi's on it no and it's the only other place i've ever seen him okay is it kind of like a D based show or it's it's interesting it's uh I, i'm so bad with names the guy mac from um always sunny in philadelphia yeah is the lead and it's about uh, it is it's about a a game development company, a game software company that's okay. creating a an online RPG, yeah. medieval. So it's really interesting. I like it a lot because one, well, it's written really well. I kept hearing it on the different screenwriting podcasts I was listening to. Uh, it's it's it was one of the first good Apple TV shows, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit the office, but he's the uh, anyway. The reason I 
just because I saw him there. Uh, and I like him a lot, and I haven't seen him. But I haven't looked either. I did, so I, a lot of the times when I ask what happened to some of these actors that that I don't see again, I just realized there's so much TV that exists. Oh, yeah. And they've they've had great careers and been on, been <laughs> on multiple things. Ron Livingston was one where it's like I only knew him from Office Space and like two other things, but I yeah. liked him a lot. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, you've just been doing TV that I didn't watch. Yeah, he pops up in everything. I remember last time I saw him, we popped up in uh, Boardwalk Empire uh, for like a, a little, I think it's a season arc or something. And then I believe he was in The Conjuring, in the original Conjuring. I haven't seen I You told me to watch those because they were good uh, high concept horror. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're just, they're just good movies. I mean, they're, they're different styles. They're, you know, if they try to do a jump scare, then they, they know to play on the audience expectations. Um, and they do have a lot of, like, interweaving of the writing of the universe, kind of. Mm-hmm. So that way it's, you know, and the order in which they come out is really weird. So, like, there was The Conjuring, Conjuring 2, and then there was, like, a, like Annabelle, which is a, it's a prequel to The Conjuring, and then there was Annabelle Origins or it was something. like Rogue One. And kind of. <laughs> yeah, but imagine, like, if you made a prequel as your sequel and then made a prequel to that as that sequel. Okay. So, like you know, I guess, well, I guess you don't have to, it would be like if Star Wars released, obviously, episodes four, five, and six, then they released episode two, then they released episode one. Which I think they should have. I think it would have been better. I guess. That I way you didn't have as much ha- Hayden Christensen. Uh, maybe he has a great career. I have no idea. I have Was, not seen him since Did he Star ruin Wars. those movies? I hear, I see a lot of memes with him, and I never... I guess I've never seen him because was he not in the first movie? No, was he not in episode one. No, no, he wasn't. So it I've was never the, seen the him. kid Anakin. Yeah. Then. So, but he played Anakin Skywalker and eventually Darth Vader. Um, and no, I don't. I think that he was just the scapegoat. It's like there are five members of Limp Bizkit, but everyone blames Fred Durst. <laughs> <laughs> well, Star Wars is another one of those fan bases too that I think is, and I I kind of get it, but it's like. I, I adore the original trilogy. I think of a lot course. of like, you'd have a hard time finding people that are like the the first trilogy is flawed, right? Sometimes you hear people that are like, I don't. Return of the Jedi was a little weird, which I I don't get that. I like it. I love. I Return love Return of the, of the Jedi. Yeah, he uh, returns. Yeah, the Jedi returns. What Ewoks more do you are want? on brand for what they were doing. Yeah. It's a nineteen eighty-three movie. A bunch of Ewoks, and then of course the final showdown between him and his and his father, and his father sacrifices himself and the Emperor and all this kind of stuff. It's a metaphor it's like, yeah, too. Absolutely. It, the the Ewoks are the indigenous ins, insurgent local, uh, you know, uh, thing, and then the Empire, which is literally called the Empire, comes in, and yeah. guess what? They're not able to overtake the people that know the land and you like so anyway um, oh gosh so you mean uh one of the highest grossing movies of all time avatar Retur- i've been saying it sounds pretty oh similar God. to is it i've never to the last jedi or the two uh jedi returns return of the jedi i don't Sorry. even know the name of the movie i'm talking about so fondly no i've uh, i 
I just I comment on Avatar because I've seen the preview, but I have never actually watched Avatar, and it's one of those things oh. I I don't really want to. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's fine. It's, I feel like I should just because it, like in the in cinema, it will be one of those movies where people were like, at one point Avatar was the highest grossing film of all time. Yeah, and I mean people liked it at the time, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's very it's it is a, a great world building movie. Like James Cameron really knows how to like, you know, build a world that you'd want to be part of. Um, not as good with certain dialogue choices or character development, but uh, you know, I thought it was yeah, it's it's a it's fine. Because in my he's, opinion, it's he's fine. done it twice because and and I feel bad. I've never actually said now I've. I've probably seen all the parts of Titanic, but I have never sat and watched the movie. Yeah, I have uh, never. But it's like, I get it. It's fine. And I, and I probably think it's fine. I don't know either, because that's another one where it came out and I was young and I was just too busy being jealous of the fact that every girl in my school liked Leonardo DiCaprio and I was fat and ugly. and Which is not fair, because you know what? Now that I can just appreciate a movie without being jealous of the fact that I love Leonardo DiCaprio. He's fantastic. I, I don't think I've seen a movie with him that I didn't at least enjoy. Uh, if not really like. What, Leo? Yeah. Absolutely. Leo's, I mean, he's one of the best actors that's also a movie star. Absolutely. I th he's very much like, I think, the leading man version of, of what I'd call the, the J.K. Simmons and Walton Goggins and stuff. Yeah, he's, he just he does have that range, but he can also be like up, the lead of like, a movie. But he's always played some kind of interesting aspect to the character that's like, it's always still Leo, but it's always a slightly different version of Leo. Which I'll tell you, it's funny because, okay, let's even tie this back to the original theme. Because uh, you have two classic, and I think they're going to be sort of like of our of this last generation of of Hollywood, Clooney and um, uh, uh, Bradley Cooper are definitely going to be guys that are like in the history of cinema. You're going to look back at the 2000s and be like, oh, those were, were two of the guys that were just leading men of Hollywood, right? But I haven't loved every single thing they've done either. They're very they're. Uh, I'm not saying this is a criticism, but like they're, uh, they get pulled into the, the movies that, that studios know are going to make a bunch of money and are going to have mass appeal. And so sometimes I'm not always as into those. You get a Robert Pattinson or somebody who's going to do something like the lighthouse and right. I'm like, man, you're interesting. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah. I mean, DiCaprio would do, like, a lot of interesting stuff with Scorsese, obviously. I mean, he basically became the new De Niro for a little bit with the departed Shutter That's Island. why I don't even want to include Wolf him on my Street. list of, of the, of, let's say, Bradley Cooper, Brad Pitt, uh, those guys. Because mm -hmm. I, th I think Leo's a little more interesting. Yeah. Well, even Cooper Dude. would do, like, you know, Limitless, which is such an odd vehicle for him uh, coming off of like you know the success of Hangover and then I, I think that his biggest swing was actually uh, you know the directing of Star is Born but also you know leading that movie uh, 
I, I, yeah, I think that was probably one of the more interesting things he's done since he kind of like hit it big. And then... Certainly. Yeah, Have you say, seen any of the other stars is born? This, no, I haven't seen... I haven't... I've, uh, the only other stars is, is, I've, uh, is born I've seen <laughs> is an unofficial one, which was The Artist. Because The Artist is still a star is born. It's just a better ending. Yeah, yeah okay. There's, there's a lot of... Star is born. My favorite A Star is Born is is actually a terrible movie. Like it's not it's not rated high. Nobody ever says they like it. Uh Country Strong. <laughs> uh with Gwyneth Paltrow and Tim McGraw and a guy that looked like Zach Braff. And I don't remember his name. That guy. Yeah. I mean, it don't get me wrong. It it's like But I love I, it. I don't know why like I simultaneously hate Zach Braff and don't know why I hate Zach Braff. Because he was great as JD on Scrubs. He, you know, kind of made that show. He made that movie that everyone seems to really like that I've never cared to watch because I'm... Well, I, I was about to say because I'm, you know, I'm 35, that's beneath me, but I just, just earlier this very episode of podcasting said that... I used to be that guy, and that's why I didn't give Twilight a chance. So maybe I'll probably watch. Uh, I can't remember what the name of that Garden movie was. Garden State. Garden State. Thank you. It's something that had to do with Jersey. But yeah, so he made Garden State. Everyone loves it, and now that now he's just like just I dating if Florence still Pugh, love it, though. Because I so I remember when that came out. That was definitely people liked it then. I remember everybody my age loved it then. But it's also something I don't hear people talk about. I hear them uh, reminisce over it. I think, I think it could be wrong. I don't know. It might be the people. It, there also might be a part to this that all the people that are my age have grown up and matured and moved into normal lives. And I am still clinging desperately to every shred of being 23 years old. Without any of the knowledge of 23-year-old talk or pop culture I couldn't name you any current actors <coughs> right now the guy that looks like young Johnny Depp I'm forgetting that, from the, the Lady Bird like... movie Timothy Chalamet? Timothy Chalamet that's right that's, yeah. he, that's like the only young actor I know him and Tom no. Holland that's the you know Tom Holland you know Lucas Hedges I also from Lady I forget. Bird I know that name but I'm not remembering yeah. I can't picture him He's the he's the dude who is Lady Bird's first uh, boyfriend turns out to be gay. Oh oh, the, the from the Meryl Streep movie too. That's right. That's right. Yeah yeah, yeah. he was a, yeah okay. he was in the. So uh, I know the yeah. But I literally don't know enough people to cast a movie. If I had to, if I was working in Hollywood now, trying to make a movie for young people, I'm so out of touch that I would I would still be like, um, Moira Kelly, hmm. Sean Young, right. Uh, Wait, who do these kids want to see? Sigourney oh, Weaver? Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> All the teens with their Anthony Hopkins merch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, you know, you know, I just saw these 14-year-old girls coming out of a Starbucks, and they were just raving about Stanley Tucci. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? That's why I think I like Nicolas Cage so much, because I think... Whether people think he's being crazy and, and going off the rails or being amazing and being awesome, 
he's kept himself relevant. Absolutely. That's the he thing. went from being like, you know, in the in the 90s, everyone's like, look at that crazy asshole. And then now it's just like, look at that old crazy asshole. Exactly. He's, in fact, I, he's, he's, he's done a masterful job of keeping yeah. himself relevant to the thing like that, that he's meme worthy to a generation that shouldn't really know him technically along Hollywood lines. Right. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, he should have faded away the way that uh, Travolta did. Because, I mean, Who's no that? one... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, especially post-Face-Off, where Travolta did have, like, a few more years left Ooh, in his career. We, mm, oh, did I... Because you watched wire? that, and then I watched that, and... we got to save that we, for another episode. I know, because I was, I was just looking at the time, and I was like, it, we, we've got to wrap this up, but that deserves its own. We almost need to... Like, I almost... I just want to... I want to watch that with you and have us just talk about every moment because every moment of that film, every line is worthy of discussion. <laughs> there is so, it's, it is very weird whenever, like, uh, Castor Troy, uh, when John Travolta is playing him pretending to be the girl's dad, that, like, there's that like subtle moment where he starts to kind of try to be a good dad in his own way. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, I mean, like why, why even like, I mean, I appreciate it because maybe it's just like a further character development or just like an extra thing, but it's like, but he's the antagonist. He's the bad guy. You're going to be rooting against him. Why would you give him this? Like, like, Oh, maybe he's not such a bad guy. I feel, but, I feel like it's the most, well, the way I like to think of it is it's one of the most meta films of, all time and that like it knows what it is it takes itself too seriously in an attempt to not take itself too seriously and yet ends up taking itself too seriously yeah making it a fun movie not to take seriously oh absolutely and there's so many birds so many slow motion birds it's great very John Woo it's it's so, oh man! Because of course, the best line reading of that, the uh, so um um if uh what if I want to send you flowers, what's your home? Ad- no, hold on. What if I let you suck on my tongue? <laughs> Tremendous! That for Nicholas Cage to, to to transition so well, and that it was so fun. It was, it, you know, let, let me tell you, this is, and part of the reason I remember that, and I feel, so this movie came out, uh, I'm going to date myself now, before I think I was really watching that many rated R movies. I think. Well, to be right? fair, so I read the book. if you pour yourself some Raisin Bran, then you're not, it's not a date. But, <laughs> but I read the book in middle school. And I felt so bad. Not not bad. I felt like I felt like I'm being bad, right? Because hmm. I'm reading this adult book about an adult movie, right? And that line was in there, hmm. and that just shows you how little experience I have with grown-up films at the time. I read that, and well, one, I didn't understand how uh, awesome <laughs> that line was, <laughs> but also I thought like they can't really put that in a movie. <laughs> Right. It doesn't even make sense. I don't think grown-ups would like that. 
and now watching it as an adult, I just want to show people that scene if they have never seen the movie. <laughs> What's so funny about that you thought that you wouldn't, like a movie wouldn't get away with that. Yeah. It's like, I'm pretty sure that was like a year or two, uh, I don't think it was the same year, but I think it was like a year or two before Showgirls. <laughs> So unless the movie industry really ramped up what they will allow in film and not... Uh, by the way, what an insane movie Showgirls is. I love it I've so much. I've never seen that. Uh, you, it's, so it's... After I watched Fat Man. Yeah, after you watch Fat Man, you got to <laughs> check out Showgirls. Because it's... Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's great in just such a weird way. And it's one of those, like, you may take a couple watches to really get it, similar to Silver Linings. But it's... <laughs> really? Yeah. It's definitely like a... Okay, what do you... Uh, okay. It's it's very... I, I, w- I would say, uh, as a palate cleanser, definitely watch some kind of Paul Verhoeven movie before you watch Showgirls. Any any other one of it. Like, if you wanted to watch uh, uh, Starship Troopers or... Um, Robocop? Uh, Robocop, of course. I love Robocop. Yeah, Robocop's yeah. like a... Almost like a monthly date for me. Where I'm just like... Eh, it's, I, I can't remember how... Uh, you know how, how RoboCop wins this scene or something like that. Sure. So I'm like, I have to rewatch the whole thing. Dude, uh, this has been amazing. I think we need to wrap this up a little bit, uh, just because it's it's a timey thing. Um, if you want to hang on, I'll talk to you for a second. But uh, let me just yeah. do my. Um, Guys, thank you so much uh, for tuning in to this episode of the Silver Linings Playcast. Uh, thank you, Nick, for being a guest and imparting all this fantastic knowledge and information and is there anything you would like to pitch talk about tell people where to find you or anything um no not really if you're if you're listening right now keep listening because uh you know jamie puts in some work and i should be a better friend and listen uh more to uh some of his stuff other than just the ones i'm on because i'm selfish no but, hey, you'd be more self-acceptance more on self-acceptance self-acceptance well anyway we'll be sure to have you on again but thank you so much for listening to the silver linings playcast we will be back next week we might have more interviews i'm definitely looking for real life couples that would like to be interviewed with my special questions like we had a couple weeks ago with conrad and danielle if you're interested you can hit us up on all the social media you can almost also email us at silverliningsplaycast at gmail.com the silverliningsplaycast at gmail.com until next time excelsior no i messed up my own and extra i can't even say the words it's because we ran too long uh until the next time we'll see you down the road and excelsior he's kind of crazy she's a little insane Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is divorced, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings play cast. Oh yeah.